Inside Out, episode 46. Today's guest is Dr. Kirsty Seawood. Kirsty is a dietitian on a mission to educate, empower, and break element behaviors surrounding diet culture. In today's episode, we talk about diet culture, what it is, and how it's impacting your life. Kirsty shares her experience with diet culture and what changes she's made in her personal lifestyle to improve her relationship with herself and food. We delve into the why behind having a poor relationship with food and how that impacts other elements in our lives. We talk about why it's detrimental to our health to remove diet culture practices like fads and calorie counting. And we talk about also the importance of educating ourselves, what is health and how can we reach a fulfilling life simply by changing our habits with our diets and our mindset. If you enjoyed today's episode, I know you will. So if you do, please make sure that you leave a quick review on the podcast app. This is how you can support me to support more women who are on their health and well-being journey who need to hear a conversation like this. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Kirsty Seawood. I love calling you Dr. Kirsty Seawood. Thank you so much for coming back on the show, part two with you. I am absolutely wrapped to have you back on. How are you? Um, I'm very cold today. Um, I can see you because we're zooming, um, but I'm sitting in my home in with the heater on and my Kathmandu. I'm that cold. It's really had a cold snap, but I'm I'm very well, thank you, and I'm excited to be back on for my second episode. We spoke way back when, At like and your first. Yeah, it was like in March last year just before the whole COVID thing, I think. And um, yeah, you were my first first guest on the potty. So I was changed for you in the last 12 months, especially with your um, business transition and things. So I do want to chat about that. But before we do, for the people listening that haven't heard of you and your work, can you tell us a little bit about you and your life right now? Yes, um, I can. I can. So um, I've been a dietitian for almost 10 years now, and I also have a my PhD in behavior science. So I'm really passionate about helping women break free from diet culture. And we're going to talk about what diet culture actually is, help them break free from diet culture, heal your relationship with food and your body, um, and focus on health and making your body feel good and what works for you. Excellent. Yeah. I'm looking forward to delving into this info. So just going back a little bit, you've transitioned your business from what it was when we first spoke. It's been a huge shift that I've seen in you. Can you share what you do in your work? Let's dive into that. Yeah, so I have had a huge transition, but um, interesting when I reflected on the questions, like when when Chris and I have been talking about what what we want to get from this podcast and sent me a few questions about and the transition of my business. I thought about it and what I essentially preach now or teach my clients now is what I originally became a dietitian to do and it's been a beautiful and up and down journey for me watching my business grow but um, essentially I now work with clients to really find what works for you make small and sustainable changes to your habits and really reconnect with food and your body in a holistic healthy way Um, and my services have transitioned from I guess that body transformation aspect yeah Um, heavily into that the whole eight-week transformation and things like that yeah anybody that you know wants or needs that at that time but you know I know that your you know core values are surrounding a holistic lifestyle change this isn't one thing this isn't just one fix it is 
long-term macro, not micro. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, that's for me, that's what I've sort of witnessed as your transition. Do you think that would be correct? Or? 100%. And I work with my clients and there is nothing wrong with wanting to change your body, right? There is nothing wrong with wanting to feel more comfortable and confident in your body, but let's do it in a way that's healthy for you and doesn't impact other elements of your health because our health isn't just our nutrition or our fitness. It's our mental health as well, our relationships, our social life, our financial well-being as well. Health is so much broader than just nutrition. And I guess through my journey, I got stuck in this body transformation space, which didn't align to my values. And as dietitians, we're taught, um, we're we're taught about how making long-term sustainable changes and um, body transformation programs work, but in the short term, it's really not about establishing those lifelong kind of habits that are sustainable. Mm. Yeah. Mm. The term break free of diet culture, Mm. it's it's relatively new. I don't remember this being around a couple of years ago. I really, truly don't. It might've, it was probably around, but I wasn't, I wasn't listening to it. Maybe, maybe it's more on me, but that term, what is diet culture? I feel like this is a great question. I feel like diet culture is a very broad term and everyone has their own individual way of how they've been impacted impacted by it. Um, so diet culture is essentially those messages that are constantly delivered to us through our environment and through I think there's been a rise in it due to social media now that we have to, in order that health has a look or a, it, it is like fit has a look for example when fit doesn't actually it's not actually a look it's a feeling if you like health to me is how confident and comfortable you feel within yourself not just physically but your inner self as well your self-worth um even in your relationships it's health is that bigger picture thing and i feel like diet culture is is where where we we've try to meet society's expectations of what health looks like so it's that for women these days it it went from being that real skinny look to now it's like this fitness look where you've got to have booty and glutes and your lean and abs and like fit and being healthy is now hammering yourself at the gym and macro counting calorie counting and that's now health whereas healthy is really when you break free from diet culture, I believe health, it's redefining what healthy looks like for you. So for some people, going to the gym five days a week is healthy and they can sustain that. For others, putting that expectation on themselves to do that is not healthy and doesn't support them. This episode is brought to you by one of Australia's leading business coaches, Rebecca Adahill. Rebecca has helped people around the globe launch, grow and scale their businesses. Now she's on a mission to help women create long lasting successful businesses through her highly successful coaching programs, the Kickstart Project and the Six Figure Mastermind. If you are ticking one of these boxes, you should get in touch with Rebecca right now. One, you have a business idea that you wanna bring to life. Two, you have recently launched your business and you are ready to take it to the next level. Three, you have an established business and you're ready to reach six figures and above. Or four, you want someone to keep you accountable and guide you in the right direction to reach your business goals. Run, don't walk. There are limited spots available. Mention Inside Out with Chris to get 10% off her programs. Now, let's go back to today's conversation with Dr. Kirsty Seawood on all things diet culture. And I think finding the joy in 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 those healthy habits as well. Like if you're 
going to the gym, going to a commercial gym to lift weights, or you're going to something like an F45 um, commercial gym, or you're going through to CrossFit and you're not actually enjoying what you're doing mm. and you're pushing and punishing yourself, that's just harboring that poor relationship, which then, you know, will integrate into your relationship with food too, because you're feeling like you're constantly failing or you're not enjoying something. And, you know, when we're not feeling successful, we're not getting that fulfillment in our every day and starting our day with a habit that we don't actually love, we've got to take a look at how, how fucking healthy is this for our, our brain, for one, and for two, how is that then correlating to other, other parts of our health, like our relationships, like you just touched on, like, you know, um, our, our work life, our everything, just everything, you know, I totally agree with that. Yes, totally yes. That I joined CrossFit, a CrossFit gym recently, and it's been the best thing for me. I know what I love. And I knew when I joined a commercial gym for the last six months prior to, I didn't like it. And I was pushing myself every day to go do something on my own that I fucking hated. Yeah. And this is a daily conversation I have with my clients about, um, and with myself too, um, knowing that your environment is allowed to change over time. And our environment has a massive impact. Like the people we surround ourselves with, our gym environment, for example, we use this one, has a massive impact on other elements of our life. Like you've just said, it's the difference between um, doing something because you enjoy it and then feeling pressured to keep doing something because you feel like you have to keep doing that um, is so different. And you're allowed to change your environment and change what makes you feel good at any given time. Um, yeah, you're allowed to change your exercise. And that's what I'm big on It's and around food and movement is finding what makes you feel good and finding what works for you. Not having, it doesn't have to be one set way and health isn't defined by one set way. And right. that's the message. Yeah. yeah. I really resonate with that. As you know, when I was heavily pregnant with Lola last year, she's nearly, she's one in two weeks, if you can't believe that. That's just wild to me. But um, mm -hmm. heavily pregnant with her, I had a lot of ligament pain and I couldn't actually do the movements or any exercise, weightlifting, anything like that. And all I could do was short walks. Now, I thought even in my postpartum recovery, because every I was only allowed to walk for the first six weeks, and then I got into this habit of walking and everyone saying, you know, walking so good for you. You just go for a big walk and you'll feel, feel better. I actually hate walking. I hate going for a walk. It's unenjoyable. I don't like it. And I felt this pressure from everyone to be doing this. And even now that I can do like normal exercise and weightlifting and things, I'll wake up some mornings and not want to go to the gym first thing. And I miss my window and I'll talk to my mum and she'll be like, just go for a walk. You'll feel better after a walk. And I'm like, no, actually I won't. I'd rather stay home. I've got no interest in going for a walk. Recognizing what works, recognizing how certain things make us feel in our relationships with people, with food, with movement, when, because you know what's working and you know what's not. So why do something that you're resisting? Like, I just don't understand that, that yeah. process. And I think it's really important. Your message is important. Your values are important, Kirst, because you are the more, sorry, the broader that you can spread awareness to this important topic surrounding food. It's also going to digress into the other um, connections that we have, I suppose, in our lifestyle. Yeah, and a big element that I work on now with my clients, and I'll be honest, it was something I was missing for so long um, in what I was providing and a reason why I had to shift out of that simply meal plan space and offer bring back the coaching element um, mm -hmm. because now my clients, I do so much work around mindset and a really big tool that we use, and I personally use this in my life now as well, and I have been for the past 12 months, and it's 
and we I've always applied it professionally but never really applied it personally and it's mm. self-reflection journaling um, and because self-reflection allows you to cultivate self-compassion and meet yourself where you're currently at and the best thing that we can do for ourselves the kindest thing we can do for ourselves is understand where we're at right now find out what works for us and make small changes and meet ourselves where we're at so a lot of the time um, when I see clients wanting to jump on these weight loss programs or start these fad diets they go from zero to 100 and try and change everything that's really unkind for us to expect ourselves to do that and then we get to what day three or four and we fall off the wagon but we weren't really real realistic with ourselves and what we could actually achieve so by starting the process of meeting yourself where you're at and being honest with yourself and having that self-compassion to be honest with yourself and say, this is where I'm currently at and what small changes can I make to get to the next step, which will get me towards my goal, is one of the most crucial and important things we can do. Mm. And interesting that you touched on mm. how people and I will put my hand up on someone that's done this for the last decade of my life. It's something that I still, it's a challenge every single day in a conversation I've had literally this morning with my husband when we woke up. I just said like we, him and I, uh, we've got a trip for Cairns in August and him and I went on a bit of, not a health kick, not not massive changes. We're just like, we just need to cut the alcohol during the week. We need to stop having chocolate overnight, like excessive. I'm not talking like oh, a little bit of chocolate and that's, you know, your everyday time. I'm talking a block of chocolate and I, it was excessive. Yeah. And just recognizing that this wasn't helping us with our goals. Um, and so we were like, okay, we've got 12 weeks. We're going to, you know, make some changes. And this morning I woke up and I'm like, I just feel like, you know, I'm getting in my head a little bit. If I'm not eating, it's it's so interesting because I was going to be talking to you today that I was thinking about yeah. this. So interesting because I have all these old teachings ingrained to me that mm. if I'm not eating my fish and broccoli and my chicken and my tuna and I'm not hitting that protein macro, then I've failed for the day. And then that's when, like last night was an example, I didn't hit any of that. I didn't even have chicken or fish. And I had three glasses of red wine because I was like, oh, fuck it. You know, I failed anyway. And it was that old mentality. And I've fully woken up this morning being like, I am so aware that these beliefs that I've had ingrained to me, the wrong and right and diet culture has been conditioned to me personally. So how has diet culture, I guess, Kirst, impacted your life? How has this been integrated to you? Yeah, and I want to touch back on you for a second, Chris, because yeah. you raised a really good point. And when I do my one-on-one -on -one coaching and my group coaching, I get clients to sign up for a minimum of 12 weeks, like the minimum to work in, in the coaching space for me um, is 12 weeks. And the reason why is because building new habits is actually really the fun and exciting stuff. It's the old shit that we get stuck on that's really hard to break. So 12 weeks is, and having that support for 12 weeks is really to break all those old beliefs and become aware of them, bring them to our conscious, become aware of them, and then work on breaking them. Because you've just nailed it then, it's exactly what happens when we look at behave, changing our behaviours. We're often not aware of all the sub, sub unconscious thoughts that we have that have shaped the way, that have shaped our behaviours. Yeah. Um, yeah, so diet culture for me, oh, let's talk about this. Um, I guess. I know you're not somebody because we grew up together. So I know that you're not somebody that went through, you know, and a lot of women in the diet culture who have been heavily impacted by it will often have things like anorexia or bulimia or there's there's major disorders and things that they're going through. But I know that you and I haven't 
been through something as heavy as that but we've still been impacted by it so that's why I'm asking yeah this is a really good question because it impacts everyone differently and I will say as well in terms of eating disorders anorexia is so prominent and disordered eating is so prominent these days because of diet culture that it doesn't even have a look anymore like usually it never really did but anorexia is normally associated with someone who's quite thin and malnourished Whereas disordered eating now, it's 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 everywhere. Um, it doesn't right. so. Honestly, it's primarily on a stage, and everyone's eating. Yeah, healthy. Mm, yeah, and it's now disordered eating is now around that calorie counting, that macro counting. Um, personally, how it's impacted me was my body. My body image was for me, um, and changing my body. Um, I'm openly talk about my breast implants and my explant journey, and I think that's where the big impact for me it was more around um changing my body to improve to feel more worthy Mm -hmm. and that was a massive journey which I'm really open about um and how going changing my body never actually made me feel more worthy or made me happier and I think what tends to happen or what we see in society now is we'll be happy when we get that job, when we lose that five kilos, when we achieve that next thing. But happiness all comes from internally. Your self-worth is an internal thing um, and no one can take that away from you. Um, So I guess diet culture for me was really in the fitness world as well. My, a lot of the healing I've had to do when it comes to diet culture is around fitness and what training is to me and what moving my body is to me. And and the way I talk to my body and the way and my body image work, that's the biggest impact it's had on me. Because to me, I didn't, a successful workout was going and hammering myself. It was training two, three times a day at one point. Um, back when you and I did F45 together, Chris, we were going, we were doing double sessions back to back and twice a day. Like <laughs> F45, I'd stop drinking at midnight and I'd be there for 5am. Yeah. And, re- like, and recently I'd, I've only reflected back on this a month ago on how messed up my relationship with exercise actually was. Like even when I was doing my PhD and I was, I'd be up working, um, which I'd be up working until like going to sleep at like one, one in the morning sometimes because I'll be writing my thesis and I'd be getting up at 5am to go to the gym. Like, and no, it's it's really not. But it was that expectation that I had to be there and I had to do that every day. Mind you, I believe that sometimes gym cultures like that are really good to motivate people to be there when they need that motivation to show up and that accountability. But you've got to really look at, like, is fitness hindering you or supporting you in wanting to show up as the best version of yourself? And oh, 100%. I think I'm not going to, like, you know, yeah. Someone's, um, coaching abilities down but a couple of years ago I was training under someone who you know runs their program like a tight ship or a, you know old school catholic school and I was having anxiety to go to the gym I was being treated like an elite athlete of some formation and I wasn't an elite athlete I was doing this for no other reason than I love exercise and I like to train and I think I got a little lost in that diet culture and that toxic toxic environment um, and the expectations that were had on my head. And I think that it's a really important message. Again, just reiterating what we said earlier, if what you're doing, your, your relationship with your body, if it's mm-hmm. not positive, then what steps are you taking in your lifestyle to change that? And mm-hmm. 
your gym isn't bringing you happiness, if your gym is making you anxious, if you feel like you are being bullied, if you feel like people look down at you, get the fuck out of there. You don't need to be there. If you are meal prepping on a Sunday and you are so anxious to get home to do this big meal prep to make sure all your meals are perfect and you know, you're overwhelmed and you take time away from your family life and you feel different mm. from your husband because, you know, and it's impacting your relationship because you have to spend your time that's supposed to be delegated to family time preparing for your week of healthy eating and it's impacting you in that way, then you need to make that change as well. Like we really yeah. you touched on. And the big thing is that their health, there is no one size fits all approach. And I feel like this is what diet culture does. It says if you're not meal prepping on a Sunday and cooking every meal for a whole week, then you're failing. If you're not, if you're not hitting your macro and calorie targets, you're failing. If you're not um, cutting out carbs, you're failing. And it's all these all or nothing rules. Whereas what I try and work with my clients to achieve is what is a diet rule versus a diet preference? Okay, you uh, so a diet rule, for example, is I'm going to cut out carbs or I'm going to cut out something. A diet preference is I'm going to, let's say sweets, for example. Let's let's use like let's use chocolate. A diet rule is like I'm cutting out chocolate. I can't have it. Okay, when you cut out chocolate, you automatically start thinking about that all day. So I guarantee you, by the end of the day, you're probably going to be eating chocolate. Okay, so just don't ever say you're going to cut out anything. And it's not going to be one square or two squares that satisfy you. It's going to probably probably be the whole block because you've been thinking about it all day. A diet preference is I don't feel like eating a lot of chocolate doesn't make me feel good. So I'm going like I'm allowing myself to include it, but in an amount that satisfies me. So you have, you bring back that power to have the choice around that food. You get to decide if you include it or not, like if you want to eat it or not in, or not in that given moment, mm-hmm. but you also include it in a way that satisfies you, not in a way that you've been told to have it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where you find this balance where you can then have all foods in your environment. Mind you, sometimes you can't, like some clients can't have certain foods in their environment because they are still too, too triggering. But you get to this point where you're like, you come to, because all food, you know, all foods can be included. You you feel safe around them and you no longer binge on them when they're just present because you're allowing them to be in your environment all the time. You're giving yourself back that choice, essentially. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about meal prep. There's probably five different ways you can meal prep. Let's find the way that works for you. Yeah. Like if prepping for seven days a week doesn't work for you and it takes time away from your family and by the end of the week you're not even enjoying the food that you prepped a week ago, let's prep for two days at a time. Let's prep a range of roasted veggies, a range of protein options, and then have some salad and pair those together and make your meal each night. Like let's find what really works for you. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting because just on the macro chat, something that um, came up just then for me when you, when you were talking is I personally had absolutely not a clue or indication of how much protein I needed to have in my day. And I, I feel like for my the decade before I knew what my macro calculated protein was, I didn't fully understand how important meat and including chicken, fish, tuna, those sorts of things in my diet were. I would overdose in probably red meat. So like, you know, beef meats and things like that. I was constantly integrating that into my diet, but I 
didn't understand that, that didn't have a, a high protein. Um, even protein shakes, I probably would have, I, some days I used to have like three a day because I'm like, oh, it's healthy, it's a protein shake. Like, oh, I know you did. <laughs> yeah, but I would. Firstly, I train twice a day, so, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but I was also overdosing in protein shakes and then, you know, eating the wrong type of food to fuel my body. So the only thing on macros I do slightly probably disagree on is that I love that it does give give society the ability to understand the macronutrients that they need in their everyday living. I don't believe counting macros is sustainable. I agree with you there, but I do believe someone like say my mum, yeah, 55 years old, has never stuck to a diet, has tried everything under the sun. Like, and I mean, I cannot tell you a diet this woman has not been on. And she still doesn't understand how important macronutrients are healthy fats, you know, carbohydrates, you've got your greens for your fiber as well. And then you've got um, protein. And once I've like explained to her what, how important protein is, she always seems to see results when she is consistently integrating protein into her diet. And I am exactly the same. I see results, not physically, I see them in my energy levels. And that's what is really important to me. And that's why I think the macros should be explained to a lot more people in a, in a wider environment. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you've touched on something really important that I talk about all the time. And that is that when are we ever actually taught about nutrition? So we go through school, primary school, high school, and you hear about Australian Guide to Healthy Eating. And this is like, this is how many core food groups you should eat. But how are we, when are we ever actually taught how to apply that? And that's a massive gap. And as part of changing your behaviors, there is 12 domains to behavior change, right? Um, which is why I'm so passionate about helping clients on the level of all these elements they actually need to change their behaviour. Knowledge and skills are two of those domains. If you don't understand something, it's really hard for you to apply any changes for that. And you, and I had a chat with a friend um, through message, we were voice messaging the other day about this exact thing. And she said, I always feel overwhelmed with nutrition. And I said, do you understand it? What do you know about nutrition? And knowledge is a massive gap out there. How to deliver that knowledge is another thing. Um, so then there's a range of tools that we can use. So a big element of, um, so when, when I, clients that come through my group coaching, my one-on-one coaching, I've designed an online course that they work through self-paced paired alongside the coaching. A big element of that course is stripping nutrition back to the basics. So let's talk about energy balance. Let's talk about calories let's talk about macronutrients and then how do we build our balanced plate and how do we build nourishing snacks for you to do that so it's giving you the actual knowledge to implement in your day-to-day life the problem that i see with tools such as calorie counting and macro counting and any the dietitians that i've spoken to so the university qualified dietitians i'm not discrediting trainers or nutrition coaches out there there is a place for all of us in the coaching realm and people all people like there's a lot of the general population out there that are looking for support and help but this is i believe where the difference is Um, when you have a university qualified professional or an experienced practitioner they know which tool is appropriate for which client Mm. the thing with calorie and calorie counting and macro counting i believe is it is a useful tool yes but delivered in the right headspace and with the right client population. Should it be a gen pop tool? No, it really shouldn't because the emotional um, and the psychology behind using that tool can be really triggering for some people. 
And that's what I really find is the importance of knowing the context and the of when to apply certain tools. Yeah. Because the the unraveling of having to help someone heal their relationship when they've been stuck in this world of calorie counting and macro counting is really hard work for them as an individual yeah. and as coaches to really guide them through that process. Yeah, I'm hyper sorry, my, my stepdaughter is um, being almost 11 and 1-9, their relationship with food, their relationship with their bodies, both very different little girls. They're learning and growing and seeing different things. They've got a whole exposure to social media that we didn't have whilst they don't have instagram and things like that they are allowed tiktok and yeah i you know they, they basically um hubby and i were actually talking about it this week they have a lot of privileges that they you know they get a lot of leeway um that they're exposed to in their little faces and they see bodies and they you know know things like botox and they know things like breast implants and they know these things that i had no idea when i was 11 years old what a breast implant was um but i was quite naive as well but Look, I think that it's interesting because we, I had a conversation with them. I made them eat a tablespoon of peas, corn and carrot the other night with their dinner, a tablespoon. And the, whilst they didn't resist like I thought they would, they still pushed back and it was quite dramatic for about 45 minutes eating this one little tablespoon of vegetables covered in tomato sauce, but they eventually ate it. But I was having a conversation with them when they're saying, why do I have to do this? I, you know, I eat heaps of fruit and I'm like, yes, fruit is great but vegetables are so nourishing for our bodies. Let's just open your palates and let's start eating veggies because I remember going into high school and I'd eaten not poorly, but not well, um, a, a very unbalanced diet. I had a poor relationship with my body. I had a poor relationship with food. I was binge eating a lot and my skin didn't just break out. I had severe acne for three years. And what that did in that time to me and what I'm primarily didn't understand was that food heals your skin yes, yes not one doctor not one person said change your diet mm -hmm. and food I'm is and that's what scares me about not scares me worries me about um let's talk about the online environment for a second instagram and social media takes one piece of information and puts projects it out there the context for that information to be delivered to an individual level is so is unique for everyone right so social media tends to get us caught up in these trends and putting information out there which isn't always in the right context for everyone mm -hmm. um, what's helpful helpful for some is harmful for others um, so there should never be a one-size-fits-all approach to nutrition um, and if when you understand how powerful nutrition is, like it, it, it heals us, it protects us, it, um, yes, calories are important, but so are macronutrients, so are micronutrients, so are mineral. Like yeah. we can't just look at one element of nutrition and use that to define what is good for us. Um, and a lot of that comes back to how do foods so when I talk in my posts and things and talk to clients about how do foods actually make us feel, um, let's remove the food rules and let's actually tune into back. How does that food actually make you feel? How, like, do you enjoy the flavors? Does that food make you feel energized? Do you get an energy spike and then do you get a slump? Like let's, let's tune in and understand how are these foods actually making us feel on a deeper level. And like you said, Chris, like do foods help my skin clear up? Like, you, you can't, <laughs> when you start looking at how foods helps on all these other elements and how good it makes you feel or 
not good and bad's not the right way, but how energized or uh, or vibrant or the opposite, how high and low it makes you feel. Tune into that and then and then as part of my program, I teach all the fundamentals of nutrition that I wish we all that I wish we were exposed to at school. Um, it's very frustrating as a as a parent having you know young children coming home from school and one of them were learning about health a couple of weeks ago and I was so fucking proud of her and the information that she was able to retain from what I have taught her. Um, she was seeing my naturopathic nets uh, at a point as well because she does take magnesium, melatonin and a iron supplement, which was a big deal for her to be taking those, you know, big capsules sort of thing. But it has helped her so much in both her energy, um, her, her mental health, her anxiety is incredibly decreased. Um, she's the coping skills that come with not having anxiety, you know, harboring her day to day. Um, and she retained so much information and it wasn't information that school had taught her. It's what I had taught her and what my naturopath had taught her. And I was so proud of her because she's really consciously aware now because I'm always having these conversations. And it's, I think it's really important to remember, like, you know, as parents, I have, I know a lot of mums listen to my podcast. So I just want to share as parents, don't be on top of your kids in terms of forcing them to eat the last thing of it on their on their plate. You know, make if they they say they're full, they are full. That's it. If you say that's it, then you're not having anything else tonight. But this is there if you want to finish it later. Then then they might finish the plate. But I know for a fact that you know when my girls are saying that they're full, I'm never going to make them eat any more than than that. Um, food is fuel is another really important teaching. I think a lot of kids don't understand. And I think that people like yourself being in the community and God, I just, I wish that you could put programs in schools because the programs that are in the schools and the curriculum aren't really doing much. Um, I believe that it's all about understanding nutrition and removing the bullshit that's out there because, and then finding what works for you. But the real nutrition knowledge, like the real actual, the real evidence, the real, the real basics that you can then apply. And it's all about never being taught that as well. Yeah. And a big thing I say to people is you don't have to be struggling to ask for help. Like if you don't understand something, you don't let it get to that point where you're sick and unwell to have to ask for help. One of the like one of the best things I believe we can do is invest in our health as a preventative measure rather than having to fix something. So it's, it, it's yeah, it's um, such an important investment to make. You're investing in yourself. And you're so right, um, telling kids, yeah, these are the subliminal messages that we've been fed all our lives around, um, are you eating that? Do you really feel like that? Finish your plate. Um, um, eat, like even down to the messaging of eat fruit before you eat, eat lollies, like, or or taking foods away from kids is setting them up with all these rules around food when, and that goes back to the intuitive eating space. And um, so intuitive eating is essentially where um, you tap into your intuition and you, in your body and a guide, use that to guide your food choices um, based on how different foods make you feel and function. Um, and you find that really your, our bodies don't want us to feel unwell. Our bodies don't really want to create like they they crave energy like quick like high sugar foods because we're actually not fueling them with enough to begin with um, and when you start fueling your body with enough carbohydrate with enough protein with enough fiber 
your energy clients are always amazed at how 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 much their cravings go away when they start to actually eat enough food yeah and that's a big part of my education too your body is not working against you it wants to work with you it will increase your cravings for these sweet high sugar foods because it wants more energy and our body's first source of energy or it's like the quickest source of energy it can have is sugar so it's going to naturally crave that to protect you Mm. and then the other big element (laughs) that i work on with a lot of clients is around the emotional eating space Mm. um and i believe in and you can probably tap into this as well um a lot um in society today we're numbing a lot of our emotions and one of the emotions we're really numbing is feeling joy and that feeling joy and i talk a lot about this with my clients is doing those things those self-care things that make you feel good Um, So it can be sitting in the sun, taking 10 minutes out to yourself, going for a walk. Um, And by not including these things, we actually, we are limiting our ability or we're we're taking away our right to feel joy. And I truly believe that when we don't feel joy, we also then don't feel the other end of our emotions. So we're in this constant state of kind of numbing. And whether it's um, foods are used for numbing, binge watching Netflix might be used for numbing, that's when, if we're not aware of our emotions and how they feel in our body, which is another big reason why I do so much work with connecting back into what our body's telling us, is because we want to start to be able to, be able to identify these emotions. And when we start truly feeling them and identifying them, we can then work on the root cause of those emotions too. So it's not that clients want to be going to food to help for their emotions. It's just that they're unaware of or have never really brought awareness to what they're really feeling and then things they can do to cope with that. Mm. Mm. That's just gone on a bit of a tangent, but it's another... That's from the original question about 13 minutes, but that is okay. (laughs) Yeah, Um, but that's a big, yeah, reconnecting with your body and Mm. that's all important about finding what works for you, right? Because having that pressure to... um, like hit the gym this x amount of times per week or have this perfect diet or cut out something that you absolutely love it's it's not needed when it comes to health absolutely it's totally unrealistic and it's not sustainable and it impacts us more negatively than we probably Mm. if we're doing it consistently and we're going through fads and different diets and different um i guess every week feeling like okay this week i'm going to tick off this 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 box and then i've success had a really successful week um it just yeah, it's like constantly going around and around and around in a circle and we just never seem to get that fulfilment. Yeah, so my advice there is I encourage, I'm big on doing a Sunday reflection and a reset and a goal set. Um, Reflect on how your week went. Um, Set, I even say like one to two small goals that you want to focus on. Like bring, reflect on where you're currently at. Choose one to two small goals you want to focus on. Set those for the week and then check in with yourself at the end of the week or even I promote doing nightly reflection. Like how did my day go today? How did I show up? What worked well? What didn't work well? Where can I improve? Um, and then you start to understand how you function as a whole human, like your thoughts, your beliefs, your patterns, your behaviours. And then when you understand that and can look at yourself with self-compassion, obviously, and remove this pass, fail, or nothing mentality, that's when you can make progress. So set one or two small things each week, reflect on those again on the Sunday. What did I hit those? Okay. If not, let's be honest with myself. Why didn't I? 
how can I then, how, how can I overcome those barriers or those limitations? Put it in place again. Once you're nailing those one or two things, then step up and add a new thing, but only then. Like don't make, don't set unrealistic expectations from yourself on yourself from the start. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love yeah. that. Yeah. What a common theme you experience from women in their behaviours that indicate that they do have a poor relationship with food. Um, mm. Are some of the practices you have in place to support them to reestablish healthy relationships with eating in terms of what are some physical immediate changes that you, that you encourage? Yeah. So thinking about food all day could be some, it could be a really big red flag that um, you may have some um, disordered eating going on there feeling guilty. Um, so a big ones if, is if you um, are going out on date night, for example, or dinner with the girls and you're like, Oh, what can I eat during the day? So that, or how can I save my calories? Um, never do that by the way, because it only ends up you, you usually binging when you get to um, dinner um, checking checking menus ahead of the time for like calorie counts or macro counts, like checking a menu and browsing a menu to see what options are available is okay. Um, but if you're checking it to then tally up and do the mental Tetris about how you can fit in the rest of your meals around the day, that's that's a big red flag. Um, also, feeling again telling yourself you can and can't have things is a good sign um and it's bringing you kind of anytime you feel any kind of anxiety or guilt around certain foods is is a good sign um is a bad sign (laughs) that you have a poor relationship with food so a couple of strategies you can do to start with would be mindful eating is a huge is a huge benefit like it's really beneficial and that is actually taking the time we're always rushing through life, right? We're not even focusing on what we're eating. Um, so taking the time to be mindful about what you're eating. Um, so removing yourself away from distractions when you're eating. So move away from the TV, put your phone down, um, get away from your work desk. Um, and I was guilty of this as well. Um, go and sit somewhere and eat the food, eat your food mindfully, like take your time, take a, um, put your fork down. One of the big things clients say is the fact of putting their fork down in between each bite, chewing their food properly, taking time to swallow it, nourishing the flavors um, is, is huge in helping them tap into their hunger and fullness cues and realizing that, hey, this portion I'm eating might be too big or this portion I'm eating is not enough. So actually having some intention when you're eating and being mindful about it. I like that. That's um, something that I would definitely, I feel like I would struggle with because, you know, example this morning, I made the um, three of the four children eggs and they sat there eating it. And so I quickly whacked some onto myself and I sat there with like two pieces of toast and two eggs. And I'm sorry, not sitting, standing, standing at the kitchen bench, chopping my food down. And my son took half of it and I was like, oh, I'm still hungry. So then I went and got a banana and I was like, oh, I'm not satisfied because I didn't get my second piece in. But I was full, but I wasn't satisfied. So I made another piece of toast. And I was like, I yeah. didn't do that. As soon as I finished it, I was like, I wasn't even hungry. Why did I do that to myself? And I thought we could talk about that because that's such a, a poor mentality and such a negative way to, I don't know, like to feel fulfillment from food. Like there's yeah. a connection there as well as the physical hunger connection. And it's, yeah, we definitely need to be more self-aware. Yeah, and the other, I was just going to tap into the, the next thing I would say is start thinking of nutrition as things, what can I add in rather than what can I take away? And I, 
did a post the other day. It was around how can I upgrade my snacks to make me feel more satisfied? And that's like, because if like a piece of fruit, for example, it's a carbohydrate source. If you add a protein or a fat source, so this education, you can see this education is really important. <laughs> if you add a fat or a protein source, so it could be like some Greek yogurt or um, some almonds, for example, or some peanut butter, doing that combo will actually make you feel more satisfied after that meal. So it'll keep you feeling fuller for longer too. Um, so it's really about, instead of always thinking about what can I take out of my diet, it's what can I add into my meals? Like, can I add more veggies in? Because veggies will add bulk. They'll add a whole bunch of nutrients too, but they also help you feel fuller for longer as well. Um, and if you're feeling like in the afternoon and having, and like you tend to get energy slumps in the afternoon, are you eating enough carbohydrate foods to give you enough energy throughout the day? So, okay, do I have to add, more carbohydrates to my morning tea snack, for example, mm. so that I feel it supports me more to feel energized. Am I even eating enough? Um, so sw switch your mentality from what can I take out to what can I add in to support myself, to show, to be a better human, to be my best version of myself. And I think something that you've touched on in the past that I've noticed too, and I align so much with this, is simplifying the cooking process. So like using a package, pre-packaged sauce or using noodles in your beef stir fry instead of basmati rice because it has less cal calories and you actually find the enjoyment in the meal and the convenience in the meal is better than baking something that you don't enjoy and that allows you to then binge later on as well because like you know for me I'm all about that convenient life I've got four kids two businesses we're under the pump all the time and I need things to be fast. I don't have time to process and make my own courses and do all this shit with cooking. And I hate cooking anyway. So for me, convenience, you know, buying a prepackaged stir fry sauce mm. and adding in the noodles and adding in some cut up beef strips, simple as fuck. And then throw in your frozen veggies and you've got yourself a delicious dinner. <laughs> and that's why I love, you're so right. That's why I love the formula that I teach and the knowledge I give my clients is because I teach you the fundamentals of it, like how to build a balanced meal, how to build nourishing snacks. Um, and you can take that and do what works for you. And, yeah, convenience items are okay to be included in your in your diet. Like how can they, they save us time? So I, and I feel like um, I even sometimes get my groceries delivered um and that's a that's a convenience for me because it helps me get to my goals like it's saving me time doing something that I in that week I might not have time for so it's about figuring out what works for you yeah um, we get fast fuel meals and I'm yeah. a fan about fast fuel I think it's absolutely delicious delicious and nutritious and <laughs> and I love it and we've always got them stocked in the freezer because if I don't feel like cooking then I just have that for dinner it's so simple yeah and that's where it's about removing these all or nothing all these expectations on ourselves for our diet to be perfect so one of my mantras I have is healthy eating I mean perfect eating is not healthy eating um because we should never have the word perfect and eating together and you touched on something before as well around food gave you that satisfaction but it was also that emotional that emotional reason as well and that's why I also believe that we're calorie counting and that lets lets you down because food is for celebrations for nourishment for enjoyment it does make it does comfort us um like for example I posted uh, I have apple and cheese as a snack all the time and yes it's nutritious and nourishing but I also have it because 
a part of that reminds me of my pop who's passed away now and he he taught me that snack so I have that emotional connection to that food um same as when I'm I'm missing my nan for example I'll cook her cream rice because it has that emotional connection and it brings back those memories so we can't discredit those because they're a really important element of our health as well our emotional well-being yeah. Um, on that, do you have any mindfulness tips you can share to promote a positive emotional relationship with food? Um, delete that pause. Delete that pause out because I'm like, okay, how can I think about no, this question? <laughs> um, to have a positive emotional relationship with food. So I believe that comes from when you, again, it can't, I believe it comes back from having the understanding of nutrition and applying what works for you and giving yourself the freedom to not have that all or nothing mentality and know that you know what yes some days I'm going to choose the burger and I'm going to do this because that's what I just feel like and it's okay to honor that and like it's actually just giving yourself permission just to do that as well um emotional do you mean in terms of using food to cope with emotions or absolutely like there's so yeah. many ways that i suppose you could look at that question but you know the emotional connection that i when i'm bored i eat when i'm sick, yes okay you know when someone's yep. sick and they don't eat those people and you're not my people i'm someone if i am sick i am yeah. eating everything and that is just my the way that i've always done it. but my mum did that so also it's a condition mm. process that i have um and it's a teaching that i have but it's something that i do still to this day yeah. And when I'm sick, there is ain't nothing going to stop me from eating all the food. So yeah. what are some ways that could help to change that, I suppose? Yeah. Um, so a big thing is checking in and tuning back into your hunger and fullness cues, which um, in the world today, you put something up about tuning back into your body and people are like, oh, what? When it's like, because like, it's seen, we've been to have so many rules around um, nutrition but and external rules. But in those moments when you find yourself using food to cope with emotions such as boredom um ask yourself am i physically hungry am i actually hungry but the first step is actually figuring out what does hunger feel like to you and that's why it takes practice over time interesting because it, um as you know i've got two babies and both of them their hunger and full cues and watching them and no matter what i'm giving them like it could be white fish or it could be chin, like whatever they're eating they will when they're full they just don't want anything you could put things in front of them they don't want it because yeah. they're so in tune with their hunger cues and it's so clear to me when I see that how much this is teaching that yeah. we pass conditioned beliefs that we do and practice in our own eating habits. And this is um, the direction I come from, right? So it's all about giving you that knowledge of what, okay, what if we're eating for nourishment and eating for health, this is what it looks like. So, yeah, we should include whole grain foods, fruits and vegetables, all those real nourish, nourishing foods for our health, but we are also allowed to include sweets and chocolates and processed foods. Mm -hmm. If you're looking at it from a health perspective, I'll give you the, I teach my clients those fundamentals of what eating for health actually looks like. But then when you, and then the, the second element is tuning back into your body and understanding your hunger and fullness cues because it will tell you how much food you actually need. So I guide my clients with some portion ranges, but I tell them that if they have this portion and you're still hungry afterwards, you're allowed to eat more. Um, and if you have this portion and it fills you before you finish, you're allowed to stop there too. But then you have to really 
grasp the concept and understand that skill to then really apply it. So it takes practice, which is another reason why I say 12 weeks for us to really work together. So you can embed this knowledge and really get in tune with your body. Um, coming back to your emotional eating question, you would ask yourself, am I physically hungry? If the answer is yes, honor that hunger and eat. If the answer is no, be like, okay, what am I actually feeling right now? Try and name that emotion and name how you're feeling and then think of something or put something in place that you can do instead of eating. Um, so it might be getting outside and go, getting in the fresh air and the sunlight for 10 minutes, like taking a break, having a cold shower, jumping in the ocean. Um, so an activity I work with my clients to do at the beginning is making a list of, say, 10 things that bring them joy or 10 things of self-care they love doing. So when emotions like this pop up and they find themselves going with food, they've got something that they can do to um, instead of using food to cope with that emotion. And it's about dealing with the root cause, right? Um, (laughs) Food, going to food is just what they've been conditioned to do and it's not your fault. Um, Conditioning happens throughout our whole life. Like you said, children are naturally natural intuitive eaters. Then we're conditioned through society and messaging to eat a certain way. We're told to do things a certain way. Mm -hmm. It's bringing that back. It's bringing it back to what our body needs, but also I'm big on applying the knowledge to to, to help there, so the knowledge for help. It's a difference because of the age gap from, you know, my son who's two and a half and my stepdaughter who's 11. And example, the other day she had a couple of wheat bix and, you know, full cream milk and they have a, they're allowed to taste through the sugar on their wheat bix It's just a thing that they do anyway. And they had that. And then she's like, oh, I'm still hungry. Can I have two more? And I was like, no, you can have a glass of water actually and so tell me if you're hungry after the glass of water and hydration is a big component to that too i believe because i think that we all especially in the colder months we all stop drinking the amount of water that we really need and then add caffeine into that or sugar into children's diets and suddenly we're you know we're dehydrated and we don't even actually know um and just you know children aren't waking up and having a warm lemon water or having a cup of tea and like starting their day on the right foot they're waking up rolling out of bed and coming to the kitchen having breakfast and mm. you know i think that that's also a, a important element to encourage people to remind themselves, am I full? Am I hungry? And upon that reflection, how much water have I had today? And have a big glass exactly. of water. Yeah. I was actually just dehydrated. Oh, and that that's exactly what I promote, Chris. It's like, okay, let's look at the end of the day. Let's look at my day as a whole. Like, so did I, like, what did I do really well? What didn't I do well? Like, what are all the elements that, like, because we with diet culture and following these fad diets, we pinpoint one thing that we've done wrong and we're off the wagon and we've failed. But there might have been 10 things we did really well that day in other elements of our life mm-hmm. where we showed up really well. And if we don't even take time to reflect and acknowledge those 10 things, then you're constantly, constantly going to feel like you're failing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that's where self-reflection really comes in and it's, it's so powerful. Yeah. Um yeah and but yeah that's that's my mission I just it's about understanding understanding nutrition knowledge like you know me I'm um I'm big on education like I love getting education out there and the real education though like the real the the real evidence like the real um, yes in a world that's got Hayley, you know this and that fat and I think my mom done a diet recently called the fat diet 
P-H-A-T. And it like, uh, yeah. calories involved. It's like 900 calories a day or something fucking stupid. And I, like, she's showing me this meal prep that she's doing. Yeah, she got fast results, but was it sustainable? Absolutely. Yeah. Not, if you're listening. Yeah. But it wasn't. And it's not working. This doesn't, this shit doesn't work unless it's a full lifestyle, holistic change. And not just food and exercise. We are talking about mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Our relationships we're talking about our connection with ourselves reflection yeah every component element of your life yeah you go hold on this like i believe that's diet culture it's not just your diet and exercise it's the every element of your life yeah yeah and that's i'm that's why i love the work that i do because in my ph doing my phd of behavioral science i built a framework to um, identify factors, uh, barriers and enablers to behaviour change. Within that framework, mm-hmm. there is 12 to 14 domains that actually influence our behaviours. We can't target one element of those um, and and expect our behaviour to change. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, so like your, your, your relationships, your physical environment are two things that impact your choices. Mm-hmm. Um, and your and your, phys- and your environment can be things like what you consume on social media, the type of people you hang around, the physical environment of your home. If your kitchen's not organised, you don't have the groceries there to do it, you can't, that affects the choices that you make in that time. Yeah. The people you talk to affects the decisions you make. So you've got to come back to internally, what are your values, what works for you, and go from there. Go from the inner work. I love it. I'm here for it. First, <laughs> thank you so, so much for all of your time and wisdom on today's episode. I am stoked to be able to just share this conversation. I think that it needs to be shared more. And the more that we keep talking about it, the more people will hear about it. And, you know, we're raising the next generation. So hopefully that can be implemented into their little lives and they won't have to deal with the things that I suppose that we've had to unlearn and, and unteach ourselves. Yeah. And the biggest message is just knowing that, you're like you're enough exactly where you are and the kindest thing you can do is meeting yourself where you're at and move from there um yeah is and if you want to stay exactly where you're at that's okay as well it's just yeah but let's find what works find what works for you and do that and really yeah that internal that internal happiness and self-awareness is massive (laughs) yeah thank you so much chris Thank you for listening to today's episode of Inside Out. I really want to grow in this space and make sure these stories and experiences are heard. If this episode resonated with you, I would love to hear from you. Please leave me a review and hit subscribe to ensure you don't miss our next conversation. Please also join me on Instagram and let me know what you thought about this episode at Inside Out with Chris. I can't wait to share more with you really soon.